it just continues. My, oh my. Rapino sends it in low. Go, U.S. It's Sue Bird's building. You bet. She's on punches right now. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Circling Seattle Sports on Converge Media. Uh, Charles and Bell with you here, uh, as as per usual. I mean, uh, different scenario here. Obviously, uh, it's Martin Luther King Day, so happy Martin Luther King Day to you on this January 4th, uh, 16th. I don't know where I was. January 16th, 2023. You can see we're not in the studio today. Um, the Kraken are playing at one o'clock or are, have already done so by the time that this episode is going live. So it kind of throws a wrench in our planning for recording and studio time. So uh, this is happening the night of Sunday, the 15th. Uh, it is still super wild card weekend. The Bengals and the Ravens are playing currently. Our Seahawks have been eliminated uh, from the NFC playoffs while well, the NFL playoffs as a whole. But uh I'm in a good run as a whole. You know, we'll get to that in our section. But, uh, I mean, it's not all necessarily. I know last week I talked about it and I opened it with uh, it being a great week in sports, right, with the Seahawks making the playoffs and uh, the Kraken in their win streak. The Kraken held up their end of the bargain. The Seahawks, uh, unfortunately, uh, end up out of the playoffs. Uh, We have some news for the Mariners in terms of signings, uh, whether that be current uh, team or, you know, the future of the franchise. Excuse me. We wondered last week when the Oil Rain would make some moves to sign some of their originals. Uh, the NWSL draft took place, and some interesting trades occurred, include, including bringing home a Washington State Cougar uh, to the club. Uh, the Seawolves made another signing, so they continue to to add on here, which is kind of interesting. Um, just a few weeks out from their preseason. The Storm, Bell and I were just talking about it before we began. The Storm offered some qualifying offers uh, to two players, and there, there's some moves that directly impact the Storm. So it's a busy week. It's a busy episode. So why don't I shut up, and we'll get over to the wild card game down in Santa Clara. Again, the stadium is not located in San Francisco. There's no Golden Gate Bridge in Santa Clara, Bell. I, you know, I don't think so. I, I haven't been to, I've been to Santa Clara once, and there was no bridge. Not. Um, let's get to that game. Obviously not the result we wanted, but you know, overall there, there's hope with this team and, and the first half looked hopeful, right? It did. Yeah. So we did go into the first half with a, I believe three point lead. Um, unfortunately the Seahawks did lose 41 to 23 in Santa Clara to the 49ers. 
Um, a few key points here that I jotted while watching was just, uh, of course, that three-point lead into halftime. And then after the half, the 49ers just were commanding. They took back the lead, incorporated several players on offense, and just never let up. So costly mistakes by the Hawks also kept them out of this one. Um, Debo Samuel, of course, it was his first game back. He definitely made his presence. Um, he had a total of 165 yards in this one. Um, and then just kind of something that, okay, we'll move into offensive players well, in the game. <laughs> you mentioned him. So I went, I, I showed him. So I, I apologize for going early there. It's okay. No, no, you're fine. Um, so we will, we can go ahead and move on to, um, our offensive players of the game here. So Charles and I both chose DK. If you watched our preview video, I did say that DK was going to be a key player in this one, and he definitely showed up. Um, he ties Randy Moss with three receiving career touchdowns of 50-plus yards in the postseason. In this specific game, he had 10 receptions, 136 yards, and two touchdowns. So a great game for Metcalf, who was catching some pretty insane balls there. <laughs> um, anything else that you'd like to say just in terms of the game or what you noticed? Uh, I mean, not necessarily with, with, sorry, I, I, I apologize for that. Well, I guess we'll do players of the game and then we'll go back to sort of a uh, discussion. Um, DK, it was a good thing to point that out. I mean, there was that 50, 51 or 50 yarder, uh, where he beat, I think it was Jimmy Ward down the sideline. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be wrong. It might be the other ward. Um, cause I know they have Jimmy Ward. I believe it's a, a C ward. Um, down the sideline, I was like, oh, shoot, okay. You know, you kind of bring yourself into this game. Uh, after the Kenneth, Kenneth Walker scored the first touchdown of the game for the Seahawks, uh, I mean, he held up his part. You know, I, I know that I mentioned uh, Gino as a, as my key guy there, needed him to be in rhythm. And there were certainly some some points where it felt like that was happening. I mean, there was one drive. Um, it, it might, I think it was that first drive, uh, where they, the first drive, uh, scoring drive. Um where Ken Walker broke a couple of good ones, Gino scrambled, mm -hmm. and it was like, okay, you know, you're able to, to create some stuff. Because again, this that was something that we did talking about our in our preview, right? Was the secondary yeah. isn't exactly like the strongest thing in the world, and I know a lot of people are like, who's going to stop San Francisco uh, in the NFC? I'm like, their secondary really isn't honestly that great, and yeah. I don't exactly you know if Jalen Hurts is healthy that Philly's a bad matchup for them. You know, who's guarding AJ Brown? Who's guarding AJ Brown? You guard AJ Brown, that's fine. Who's guarding, uh, oh, help me, Devonta Smith on the other Devonta side. Devonta Smith, yep. Right? You know, they still got Dallas Goddard. Miles Sanders has been playing all right, so maybe he helps give you a punch offensively. That you still got to account for Jalen Hurts. We're not an Eagles show, though. Um, so that's <laughs> that's why I'm not entirely scared of the 49ers like, to win the Super Bowl. Um, yeah, DK, I think – well, that was something, too, I think we mentioned in the preview, was that DK shows up in these playoff games, and he, he showed up, you know. Uh, and it was good to see that sort of take place there. And I mean, he, he played his part on the offensive side of the ball uh, it was just tough with this offense. And I, we'll, we'll get to that uh, in talking points, but um, there's always these things where I put my player of the game down and then I see your pick and I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and it happened again. <laughs> when you went with Ryan Neal here on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I, I went with Bruce. Uh, it's oops. I almost whacked my, my mic there. Uh, Bruce, Five total tackles, four solo, one sack, two tackles for loss, and a QB hit. This is a guy who retired twice already, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, he's on his third stint with the Seahawks, and one sack, two tackles for loss, and a QB hit for a guy that you know is is, is a relatively older guy. Um, 
I don't mean to be negative, but when you look at it and when a guy like him uh, at his age, I guess you, I, I, I'm not, I want to call him old, but when he's contributing that to this Seahawks defense and you're not necessarily seeing that production from other guys on the D line uh, or even the linebacker spot, it, it, I, it says a lot. And obviously I think everybody in the fan base knows this, that with these top picks that you have in this draft, um, I don't know if you, you go anywhere for free agency for that. You have to spend it on defensive players and, and ideally front seven players. I think you're fine in the secondary, honestly. And, and that's somebody I want to talk about when we do our sort of offseason preview and our year in review with the Seahawks. It's Ryan Neal is a guy who's come in and played really well several times for the Seahawks team when he's been a Seahawk, not just this year. But when Jamal Adams has gone down with injury, which unfortunately has been a few times, right? Neil comes in and he plays great ball. He's one that, you know, I don't like to use pro football focus as a great measuring stick just because some of their stuff seems kind of flawed and I get a lot of its numbers. But um, he, he was a, is a pro football focus, uh, uh, all pro, uh, the only Seahawk to be named to that, even in the real all pro, uh, I believe he got some votes. And, you know, he, he was a guy that in, in, in this game, obviously you look at uh, his, his impact to this game. Uh, he, he was key. I know he was down for a few weeks um, and, you know, Seattle needed that. They had Jonathan Abram who made a key mistake and we'll get to that, that you pointed out in your notes. Uh, and they had like Josh Jones, I think was injured. Tease Tabor got in there. Josh, uh, and Josh Jones, it's those, you know, it gets kind of thin after that, but my point being is Neil has stepped in well and mm-hmm. he's going to be, a. I think he could be a restricted free agent, but what for my, what I gathered is he, he seems like he's interested in coming back and he doesn't sound like he's got plans to go also, which is good because I want a guy like Ryan Neal in the secondary who doesn't, doesn't complain a lot that I've seen. He comes in and he's been able to be versatile. He can come and he can come and tackle and he can mm-hmm. cover. So it's, it's, yeah. he's a versatile safety that, I'd want on my team. So I'll let you talk about Ryan too, but yeah. he's, he's, he's somebody that's, I guess, in my opinion, has been kind of, it's kind of like an unsung hero. And I think as the years have gone on, he's become more and more noticed by the fan base as he's gotten more of that uh, spotlight as that's gone on. Yeah. So as you mentioned, he was injured for a little while there. He was announced healthy and able to play on the 12th. Um, he led in tackles for this game. He had 10 tackles, eight solo, two assisted. Um, and I think again, mentioning that first half and the things that really went right in that first half, there was, um, one of the first defensive plays where, uh, McCaffrey went wide and, um, Neil met him right at the, I think he got like a couple yards, but he didn't get the first down. And I was like, okay, if we keep playing like this, like, this is exactly what we need. We need McCaffrey to, you know, stay, uh, to keep him as stagnant as possible. So, but that didn't necessarily happen throughout the whole no. game. Um, and so we'll go back to that because I will ask just kind of what you noticed went right compared to what went wrong with those two halves. Um, I mean, it's, it's funny to talk about it. You know, the first half of this game, uh, even really didn't even seem at the beginning like it was going to go that great for Seattle you know the first two drives just kind of ugly you know but I felt I expected that you know this is again a 49ers team that we talked about in the preview really hard to play against fly us of the football great front seven um 
didn't get much going in that first quarter. The the 49ers playmakers were really kind of impacting that game. You saw Debo was breaking something. I think Ayuk had something. McCaffrey, they were all kind of getting rips. But Seattle was kind of bending and not breaking it. I think they held him to a field goal early on uh, on a big blitz. I think Cody Barton mm-hmm. got a big pass deflection on third down in the red zone. Um, and we'll talk about him uh, when we talk about the end of the season. Um First quarter, yeah, but in the second quarter, it felt like he run, ran the ball better. Ken Walker found the end zone uh, to end the half. Jason Myers nailed a 56-yard bomb, mm-hmm. uh, and he was like, oh, shoot, you have a fighting chance. This is what we expected you know, from this team. That first half, you know, you, you stayed in it. You are able to get sort of a balance there. DK was being productive. He had the second touchdown, I believe it was, um, for Seattle. I think it was Walker. DK and then mm-hmm. DK again because he didn't score anything after that. Um, yeah. In the second half, it just uh, it all just kind of came unglued. Uh, the, the missed tackles kind of showed up to me more in that half. You know, this has been an issue uh, for Seattle all season. I mean, when they had that great stretch, it seemed like they figured out how to do that again. But even to an extent, you could see some where that still took place. Uh, penalties started to mount up. There were those three illegal man downfield penalties, which I've never seen that happen in a half before. Uh, yeah. I, think, I think that was the I was a key in the first half. Actually, Seattle did not get penalized in the first half. Um, mm-hmm. it, uh, so it was just unfortunate to see that take place. I think uh, Quentin Jefferson said about Christian McCaffrey's big run. Uh, it was like Moses, the Red Sea part. I was like, oh, man, he makes a good point. Uh, and then I, I want to let you say it, but there was there was a play where I didn't even notice it at first. I just saw Debo get up and kind of be like, what you know, what's what was that about? And then there was yeah. a little bit of uh, some some anger afterwards. <laughs> and I don't know. It just, you know, obviously these are divisional teams, right? They've seen each other. That was their third meeting of the year. Uh, it was going to be a tough one. Right. But it doesn't seem I don't like the idea of giving the opponent anything extra to motivate them. You know, I get it again. You, you want to get in their face, you want to get in their head to an extent. But it, it considering the offensive talent that this team has, I don't want to play with fire there. I've 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 had secondary burns on my hands before. I don't want to play with fire at all. Um, yeah, it just seemed like things started to unravel and it just all kind of uh, snowballed for this team. Uh, and, and that's, that's the thing, you know, when I talk about, um, we don't want I don't want to reflect too much on the season because we want to do that next episode when we have our full season and we'll have a, a longer one on, on our YouTube account. Um, but there are a lot of positives to take, but obvious needs and glaring issues to address, right? We don't know, Oh, what do we need to add on offense? I've seen in, 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 uh, mock drafts. Someone has wide receivers, the highest need for this team. I was like, these ESPN guys don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know, I I know Marquise Goodwin's on a one-year deal. That's fine. You know, you could maybe add someone in the draft there. D. Eskridge, I know, was practicing this week before the wildcard game. I don't think he got back. Uh, But maybe, I don't know what his deal is. I just don't think he's been available enough to warrant uh, more chances. But you got DK and Tyler, obviously. I'm sure you could add another receiver there, maybe bring another mm-hmm. veteran back. Goodwin was able to contribute pretty solidly throughout the course of the year. Um, I, I don't think you need to add much on offense outside of some interior linemen. 
Austin Blythe was fine at center, but I don't see why you couldn't add another center there. The guard situation is interesting because another guy that was on our uh, inactive list, Phil Haynes, he kind of switched throughout the year with Gabe Jackson. They kind of um, split playing time, which was kind of odd, right? I mean, one guy is supposed to be a starter and yeah. he, he splits time, which is interesting. But so interior line, I would, I wouldn't mind having some address uh, there. Obviously with the tackles, you're fine, right? With, with cross and Lucas, but the D line. Yeah. You know, I mean, you need some pass rushers when you run a three, four, you need to be able to get after the ball. You need to be able to generate pressure. Um, and, and, and inside linebacker too. I'm sorry, but Cody Barton's not a guy that I want as a starter in that three, four defense. You'll get Jordan Brooks back. Um, and hopefully he's on the safe road to recovery. Uh, and even he's young, you know, he, even he's a younger guy and he'll continue to learn. And he was near the top of the league in tackles for a good amount of the year. Right. Barton is just too many missed tackles, too many missed assignments. Just not, it just, and again, he's been in the league for a good amount of time under Bobby Wagner. So it's like, I don't know if greatness doesn't rub off as well on some people. And I know that's the greatness is a word that gets thrown around way too much in my opinion. Sure. Um, it's my own thing. There's someone I'm talking about, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll get to that in, in season in review, but it just, I'm not a fan. So yeah, some of the, some of the big issues just kind of really showed themselves. And I think one of the plays that exemplified the game for me was Purdy evaded a sack and he found, uh, I think it's Elijah Mitchell is his name. The running back wide open on a check down. Yes. I was like, he had the sack. Uh, Purdy does his little Fran Tarkenton impression and he's got a touchdown. And it's like, man, there were a few times too where it felt like Seattle had a sack in their hands or even a tackle. And then all of a sudden the guy breaks it like he's rubbing off a wet ramen noodle. It's like, what just happened? You know, this, the tackling has to be better next year. Um, and that's just a basic thing. doesn't matter who we're playing. We could have been playing the Packers in this game uh, or any team, really. But if you can't tackle, people are going to take advantage of that, especially teams like San Francisco who are yards after catch specialists, right? So, yeah, that's that's how I, I thought. actually thought of you with uh, Cody Barton, his tackle when um, Brock Purdy did get loose and ran it for the first down and just kind of like. <laughs> just kind of watched him go by. So if, if it's if it's Debo Samuel, you know Christian McCaffrey breaking tack, George Kittle, sure. But Brock Purdy, if if it's not, you know, normally I would say just quarterbacks in general, but guys like Lamar or Joss Allen who can run the football really well, or Jalen Hurts, sure, fine, they they can break tackles. But Brock Purdy, come on, man, did he rub butter on himself before the game? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's that's how I feel. How did you, you know, with what you saw from that game, where did where what did you see there? Um, so I was following along with your live tweeting as well, and I did notice that you uh, mentioned that that interception on Gino might have been the game swinger. Um, however, the 49ers and Shanahan have a different game swinger that they mentioned. So they think that the dirty play on Debo from Abrams was uh that momentum swing and so that's what locked the team in and really i guess brought out the fight in them yeah and that's that's what i was hinting at i didn't want to give away because it was in bell's notes um i just again no need <laughs> someone said on twitter to be fair jonathan abram uh is a raider at heart and i was like oh ah. 
so yeah, that just stuff, you know, you normally don't see well uh 49er fans that are upset will will disagree, but uh normally you don't like to see that stuff. You don't see that stuff really from Seahawks. Um people so were do you rep- agree that it was a dirty play yeah that was stupid there was no need that way he was down and he twisted i was like hey you you don't need to be twisting you know i get it technically it's not in the rule book kind of thing but it's like you, yeah. you know um because i know there's history between those teams um people it was funny there was a 49ers fan I saw that was saying that this was a revenge game and he had three photos, three photos. It was, um, have you seen the photo of Navarro Navarro Bowman from that NFC championship game on the cart and he's sitting there and someone threw popcorn at him. That was just stupid all around. I won't protect that. That was dumb. That should never happen. Navarro Bowman was a hell of a linebacker. Nobody should have that happen to them at all. Right. But had that photo, uh, the tip photo and Vernon Davis, getting blasted it was like this is revenge i'm like you're playing a seahawks team that shouldn't have been here in the first place te- that technically uh and you you've are in clear win now that's the thing with this 49ers team right they're clearly win now they trade for christian mccaffrey um right. you know they've got all this talent on that defensive side of the ball uh, they're clearly win now this is a Seahawks team that again was pete and john never were gonna say it but they were in a rebuild year. They've got that incredible draft class. They've got all this draft capital. You know, you like, that's the thing too. I wanted, I, I wanted to save it until we got the discussion, but you, they had locker room clean out day to day. And the, 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 yeah. the quotes that came from it, Geno Smith was in the locker room, no locker room, weight room, working out. Ryan Neal was yep. talking about how he was excited to be back already. They were got, and they said there was a, the eager and hungry were the words that were thrown out the most. I think Ryan Neal actually said it in his post-game press conference. He said, this team's going to be great, and Seattle should be freaking excited. He said freaking, I guess. You never know. But so there's a lot of excitement with this team, and I don't disagree. You know, I I had my opinions, and I was wrong. Let me get in focus. I might have been wrong about it in the beginning of the season. Um, But, you know, with the draft class that they had, and even with some of those younger guys already, and guys like, you know, Ryan Neal being able to come back, there's no reason to not be excited for this team going forward. And now we get to have the fun uh, assignment of uh, mock drafts and we'll, uh, we'll get to go back to that. So I'll get back in focus. Jeez. But yeah, so that's, that's all I'll, I'll stop yammering about that. Um, but again, I just to, before we get to next week with our recap of the season, I'm happy with, with what took place. I mean, it's, this was much more than we asked for. Right. So mm-hmm. the, you know, this was much more than any of us could have thought. If you're saying that when you uh, we traded away Russell Wilson and released Bobby Wagner that you thought we would make the playoffs, I, I bet you're lying. You know, I, I really bet you do. If you don't, if you weren't, hey man, props to you for being there and you know having belief. But it, it was like universally kind of believed, and it was like, well, you know, we'll see. And we saw it. it was it was a pretty fun, pretty fun ride. So that's my thoughts on it. Before we really get to next week and uh, fully recap it. I will say that we were all wrong in our score predictions because I think the highest was a 10 point swing. And I honestly <sighs> did not think that they were going to rack up 41. So I'll leave that there. <laughs> um, we'll move on to some inactives going into the game. We had Phil Haynes, Tony Jones, Jr., Penny Hart, by Jones, Joshua, Oni, Onu, Jog, Gio- Giogu. 
Diogu, Artie Burns, Xavier Crawford, and then injuries sustained during the game. Um, unfortunately, Daryl Taylor left the game in the second quarter. He was questionable to return with a neck stinger. Yeah, I want to get away from those neck injuries. Very scary. Oh, yeah. And on to some team notes here. On the 13th, we had some roster moves. Uh, they signed running back Tony Jones Jr. off the practice squad. They elevated wide receiver Kate Johnson and linebacker Alexander Johnson from practice squad. And they waived Isaiah Mack to make room on the 53-man roster. On the 11th, Quandre Diggs was named to the NFC Defensive Player of the Week for Week 18. If we uh, go back to Week 18 against the Rams, um, in an overtime of a must-win, he intercepted a Baker Mayfield deep ball that had Diggs not intervened would have resulted in a long catch for receiver Van Jefferson, who very well could have scored on the play, or at the very least put the Rams in range for a game-winning field goal. Instead, Diggs recognized the threat as the play unfolded, and Jefferson ran open. He broke on the ball, and then he undercut Jefferson just in time to snag the ball and give the Seahawks possession for what ended up being the game-winning drive. Um, on some not-so-happy, but, I mean, we might think that some players got snubbed. But anyway, <laughs> no Seahawks named to the All-Pro teams, but some did earn votes. Um, those that earned votes were Tariq Woolen, Quandre Diggs, Ryan Neal, Jordan Brooks. They all earned votes. So any opinion on that, on them not actually getting named? Um, to All-Pro, not necessarily. It was really interesting uh, this year because I believe All-Pro had a significant uh, vote dedicated to the players. So a lot of players were uh, involved in that. So I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. But my more concern with like particularly looking at the first name that you mentioned on there is when we get to the official awards closer to the Super Bowl. Because I don't know, there was some post that was like, who's the rookie of the year? And it was Aiden Hutchinson and Sauce Gardner. I was like, really? You're putting Hutchinson really? in there? I was like, okay, you know, a guy that was tied for the league league interceptions and passes deflected. I think it should be Tariq Woolen. Offensive side of the ball, it gets a little bit trickier because uh, Walker did miss some games. Garrett Wilson had a solid year. Chris Olave had a solid year as well in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. um, so I could see it getting more muddied up there. But you could have legitimate qualms with both of those guys being their respective uh, sides of the ball uh, trophy winners there. I think when it comes to comeback player of the year, I think it should be Geno. I mean, that with the way that it happened, him being uh, there. So... You you could argue that some Seahawks should take home some some hardware, but all pro I can I can understand it I can understand it I guess the guy out of there most I'd want to see is Neil or Neil or Woolen, but it, it's tough there, um, just with you know the the general votes of the league because some guys might not uh, different divisions might not recognize it Seattle being yeah. where it is this this and that so I don't have too much qualm with that personally I don't know what, what you, your thoughts on it. Um, I just don't think any of these guys should um, hold their head down for not getting it. So, I mean, all great names that deserve to at least have votes. So at least they were acknowledged in that way. Yeah, that's a key thing, right? Because the longest time Russell Wilson never had an MVP vote. And it was like, you didn't even get a vote, let alone an award. Yeah. You know, so that's a good point. I like that. On the 14th, it was announced that the Hawks want Geno Smith back next year. The veteran QB will return to the Seahawks in 2023, may receive the franchise tag if no agreement on the if there is no agreement on the long-term deal. Smith shows mutual interest post-game, saying that he wants to stay in Seattle. Says that the Seahawks and 12s embraced him during a career season. 
Um, I know that I, th- I saw some comments saying that we should take a QB in the draft. I don't know how many people feel that way, but I think that we give Smith at least another chance, especially with him taking us this far this year. So I'm not sure. What I think he's earned it. On that. Yeah. I mean, like if you think about it, right. With, with your number five pick. Absolutely not. Do not No, I know you just, again, you look at the way that the Seahawks offense put up points this year. Uh, we're looking at Gino, right? I, granted, there were some mistakes made. It was yeah. his first full year starting since what? He was in New York with the Jets. And that was, I want to say like it's ancient, but I'm going to offend people. They're like, I'm old. And like, I get it, dude. It was like, what? 13, 12, like early, early part of the Been decade. Right. So like, I get it. Um, that was a kind of the understanding in, in press conferences I read is like, Gino, Pete Carroll thought, okay, he's, he's going to be able to learn more. Uh, this, you know, another off season is because well, remember he didn't enter this last off season as a starter. I thought as a moron that he was uh, drew lock was going to be the starter. I, I thought the wrong. same thing, you know, well, we were wrong. Fair enough. Right. But, you know, get get him the full offseason dedicated as a starter. Sure. Because even in the off, the beginning of the offseason, he didn't necessarily know that because that Russell Wilson trade happened. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, he's got the locker room obviously in his hands. I mean, if you look at the quotes about him, it's not like the guys like disliked. The locker room is a really big fan of him. He's obviously capable in terms of the deep ball. I mean, he had some great throws. You look back, you talked about with Diggs with that uh, player of the week, that Rams game, that ball to DK, uh, to Tyler Lockett was a beautiful yeah. ball, you know, and he's, he's, he's mobile. He can run the football as well. I'm not saying he's, you know, as fast as Lamar Jackson or as tough as Josh Allen, but he's proven he can run the ball as well. I just don't see it uh, playing out to where Gino doesn't earn at least, Shad two-year deal. You know, I know that it's been talked about that um, if a full-length uh, agreement isn't made, that they could they could use a franchise tag on him, which eh, it'd be fine. Um, but yeah, I just it, with with the needs you have on this defense and the fact that you can get young talent, young high-caliber talent. With the Seahawks haven't had this sort of pick in years. Well, obviously last year they had the pick with Cross, but you know they don't have this sort of stuff. They could turn it into other picks, but I really think this is a spot you add defensively. And with the the draft hype train that always happens, right? It's already happening with Will Levis right now. Will Levis is being talked about as a potential number one guy. Really? Do we think that? Like, do we honestly think that? Um, so it's like maybe Will Anderson falls to us. I, I don't think uh, – who's Buddy from Georgia? I don't know his name. Uh, the dude from Georgia on the defensive line is kind of agreed as, as, as like a top three pick shoot. Maybe somehow he falls to us like Shane Wright fell to the crack in a number four. Who knows? You know, I just don't think drafting that high. Maybe. No, I, I don't know. I just don't think that's smart this year. Uh, maybe later on in the draft. I think, Ooh, well, actually I've seen some stuff that says next year's draft for quarterbacks will be pretty good too. Uh, I know Bo Nix will be in that draft. Michael Penix will be in that draft. I don't know, man. Hey. I just don't think this year is the year to do that. I think Gino's earned another year at minimum, at very minimum. I've said, I think we talked about it last week, right? I think two years is where I'm going to yeah. go with that. But I, th- I think very minimum, he's your starting quarterback next year. Just considering everything, how capable the offense was this year. 
Um, even battling through injuries, right? Tyler Lockett, we thought he might be out for the rest of the year uh, with that yeah. finger injury. And uh, Ken Walker wasn't fully healthy. Rashad Penny, remember him? You know, I mean, Will Disley was out for the last few weeks. So it's like, I, it just doesn't make sense to me uh, personally. I don't know. I want to get your thoughts on that as well. But I just considering areas of need, it's like, yeah, that's what I've got a hoodie on right now. Do I need to go buy another one? No. If I'm wearing my shirt underneath and I'm cold, sure, maybe I do. You know, it's 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 not a need. Some people want that, and I get that. You do. You're not looking at Geno Smith as a guy who's going to be the quarterback in 2026. Probably not. You know, uh, that's going to be someone that's likely get someone, develop them, then we go from there. But that's not some at least with a top pick. Maybe they do something in one of the later rounds. I don't know. You know, I just don't think it's it's worth wasting that sort of pick. Not necessarily wasting, right? But using it considering the other talent that you need to add yes. on the defensive side of the ball. That's my yeah. rental anta. I completely agree. I think there are other areas that you need to address before you even think about quarterback. So We'll move on here to our 2023 opponents who have been released already on home games. Divisional opponents are the Cardinals, the Rams, and the 49ers, of course. Um, we also have the Philadelphia Eagles, the Washington Commanders, Cleveland Browns, Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Carolina Panthers. In away games, division opponents, once again, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Niners. But we also have the Dallas Cowboys, the New York Giants, the Baltimore Ravens, the Cincinnati Bengals, Detroit Lions, and Tennessee Titans. Which one of those names are you most excited about? Excited about? Um, yes. Just in terms of the game it'll present? Yeah. Uh, I think the Eagles game will be fun. I think that'll be fun here. Uh, Eagles, Panthers, ugh, after last this game. Steelers will be interesting just considering where they go in this offseason. I know they've um, they produced a decent season, you know, all things considered. Kenny Pickett, uh, maybe get him some more time to develop. I'd love to see the Seahawks smash Sean Watson when the Browns come to town. Uh, but that Eagles game, I think I think they're built to be pretty good for the next few years. Uh, I think their, their line's going to get an older, um, but they've got some good young talent. Uh, but when we, we talk about defensive needs, right? We just talked about that stopping mm-hmm. the run. Look at just the away games, not even talking about Philadelphia and what they can do on the ground. Uh, Cleveland and Nick Chubb, Carolina, and what they did to us. You look at the away games, right? Just the away games Dallas and Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, Baltimore. Yeah. I don't know who's going to be quarterback for Baltimore next year. Uh, you played the Giants again, you know, Saquon Barkley. The Bengals, ooh, that air game is not necessarily what I'm talking about. But I'm seeing a lot of teams that can run the football. Um, you got to be able to stop them, right? Yeah. So, again, positions of need is all I'm saying. That's, you know. I'm going to circle that one because of the Philly Eagles game. Because you're right. I think that one is going to be an exciting one to be at. So That seems I'll... like a potential primetime game. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. I'm not a schedule um, maker. <laughs> But we'll find out, maybe. Um, moving on to some league news here. Uh, coaching carousel. Uh, the Broncos are casting a wide net for a new head coach. They've requested interviews with Sean Payton, Jim Harbo, Demeco Ryans, and two others. Um, two head coach candidates emerged for the Colts. Um, Lions OC Ben Johnson, Rams DC Raheem Morris, among con- candidates that Indy has requested to interview. 
McVeigh was letting his assistant coaches job hunt. The Rams assistants were granted permission to look for jobs with other teams while McVeigh decided his future. It was later announced McVeigh told the team that he will return as the Rams head coach. There is a Sean Payton saga going on as well. Denver wants Sean Payton. The Broncos see Jim Harbaugh as the backup option if Payton doesn't take the head coach job. Denver reportedly leads the race for Payton. The Broncos are the front runner to land the head coach who liked their stable ownership and would be happy to work with Russ. And the Panthers are also in on Payton. Carolina received permission to interview Super Bowl winning head coach, and he jo- they join Arizona, Denver, and Houston in their pursuit. On the 10th, it was allowed announced that while Hamlin is home in the sense of being back in Buffalo, he's not quite home yet. The bill safety says that he is undergoing further tests at Buffalo Hospital after getting transferred from Cincinnati. So hoping for nothing but a full recovery for Hamlin there. Um, we go back to our Seahawks here who ended their season nine and nine. Um, of course, they ended the regular season second in the NFC West. Couldn't quite make it through the Niners there in the super wild card weekend. Um, yeah, I think you mentioned the, lo- the locker room and we were talking about this previously too, how other players on other teams have been visibly upset after losses. And that's not really the vibe that the Seahawks are giving. So that's definitely a positive note. And I think something that we ride on to look forward to next season. Yeah. And then, I mean, we could say the similar uh, sort of statement about the Mariners and the way they ended their season. I know obviously uh, the way they ended it in that game in 18 innings was tough, but there's a, a in, in a similar way, uh, a lot of young talent on a team that, you know, the Seahawks can add more talent uh, in a lot of ways, whether it be young or old, uh, the Mariners added some veteran talent in the off season. Uh, again, this is, um, well, Oh wait, we already did the last week, but, some sort of re-signings and such and some coaching staff information, which one move I didn't necessarily expect. So on the 10th, the Mariners announced their 2023 coaching staff. Obviously, Scott Service returns as the skipper uh, for the ball club. But you'll see there Stephen Vaught uh, will join the coaching staff. Two changes to the coaching staff for 2023. Uh, Before we get to Vaught, Trent Blank transitions uh, to the major league coach and director of pitching strategy while Vaught, a former player you can see there in his uh his photo from his last game as an oakland athletic where he he homered in his last game uh is hired as a bullpen and quality control coach now if you don't know Vaught actually lives in the state of washington he calls olympia home and so the washington resident gets to join the mariners ball club uh something that the the former 10-year veteran uh, gets to do he gets to stay around the game of baseball uh in a coaching role otherwise the rest of the staff Remains the same. Manny Acta stays at third base. Tony Arnerek uh, is the hitting coach. Jared DeHart joins him as a hitting coach as well as a director of hitting strategy. Perry Hill, the great boon, uh, is still the infield coach. Christopher Negron is the first base coach, former player of the Mariners. Carson Vitale, uh, first, uh, pardon me, major league field coordinator. And Pete Woodworth, Woody, remains as the pitching coach there. So kind of cool to see a former player join the staff and especially someone who's a Washington resident. Uh, to to join the Mariners staff there. It's, it, it was really interesting. Vaught had a really interesting career. Um, I don't know. If it, you get the chance, Bill. You go watch his last homers in Athletic. Uh, as his last game, he homers 
And in the photo here, you can kind of see it, but he's rounding the bases and he's like skipping with joy. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And it just kind of seems like you, you think about this Mariners team last year, right? And you, you cover it, you being part of our coverage uh, this last year. Um, I don't know if, and if how much baseball had played a role in your life, but you think about how much fun this locker room and this team had been, and you just kind of add a guy like that. You think there's, you think they're going to enjoy themselves next year uh, even more. So hopefully, right. Hopefully longer, longer into the season. Um, another guy who had some fun and was part of that game that we just talked about with the eldest DLS game three in this photo, you can see here, Felix Hernandez, the King himself will be inducted into the Mariners hall of fame, uh, becoming the franchise's 11th member in the month of August during the season, Felix weekend will take place August 11th through 13th on the 11th. Uh, there will be a post game fireworks spectacular on the 12th. He will be inducted uh, that night. And then the following day on Sunday, he will be given uh, well, he won't maybe he'll be given one probably uh, the game will be a Felix hall of fame bobblehead giveaway. Um, Felix, you know, y- y- with the way, that this team struggled, not this team specifically, but the franchise struggled when Felix was there. It was really tough, right? Because somebody, maybe I liken it to is Damian Lillard in Portland. Uh, the Mariners yeah. didn't make the playoffs, obviously, but you think that it was like Felix could have gone anywhere he wanted during the prime of his career. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, there was the obviously the perfect game, uh, which is still the the last perfect game to take place in major league baseball. It's always kind of funny to see Mariners fans wonder if that's going to happen again, whenever uh, someone gets close to it. Um, Just, just unbelievable loyalty to the city and this franchise, whether it, you know, there were so many games where Felix would be pitching a gem and they'd give him little to no run support. And there were even games they would lose because of the fact that Felix didn't get that run support. And he's just someone who was so deserving of that. Um, And it's really cool to see not only Ichiro have it last year, um, but then Felix get it this year as well. So really, really awesome to see Felix uh, be inducted into the Mayor's Hall of Fame. That was somebody that I grew up watching. Um, and I remember being there for the last night that he pitched. Uh, well, yeah, the last night that he pitched, and it was really emotional. He, did, he didn't have the best game necessarily, but it didn't matter because uh, it was just about Felix that night. And to have him uh, as the... Uh, first pitch thrower for that game. I know a lot of people were like, bring back this guy and this guy and this guy, like guys like Seager um, mm-hmm. that were there throughout that time. There was nobody else that deserved it more than Felix, um, in my opinion. So that was really cool that, to see that. Yeah, I think that picture uh, gives so much emotion just because, I mean, we were there. We saw we saw it happening. We saw him walking out onto the the field there, and I think the press box is going to need more tissues when they do induct him because there were tears, guys. <laughs> um, so there are going to be definitely more tears that weekend. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was. I had heard. Um, I think uh, one of our friends told us that it was going to be happening. Uh, and it, it only made the most sense. So uh, that was that was really awesome. And it'll be really great. I'm sure there will be more happy tears uh, when August rolls around um, and that that uh, that induction takes place. So we will continue on here with arbitration arbitration. We go from a fun topic to a not so fun topic. Uh, the Mariners did agree to terms with three players to avoid arbitration. Uh, first baseman Ty Francis, you can see him peeking over there. 
uh, Paul Seawald and catcher Tom Murphy as Tom is pointing towards Paul um, in these <laughs> photos here. Uh, just just before, just so we can go over it, in case you don't know, arbitration is is kind of is an interesting sort of thing with baseball. Um, the players that do not reach our, uh, arbitration go to meetings and hearings where they essentially uh, now will get a, a third party will decide how much that player gets paid. And so it's kind of like it's, it's a contract thing in baseball. I, I don't have the fullest grasp of it. I'm sorry. I can't give that to you entirely. But these three players that we'll show here next will now go to hearings. Um, and it's just interesting knowing that some of these players, I think with Teoscar here, it was only like $2 million off. And he's a guy that you just acquired this offseason. I wouldn't want to disagree with him on a little bit of money, but we'll yeah. see. So the three players that the team did not reach agreements with were Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Diego Castillo, and Dylan Moore. So now those three will go to hearings and will be given uh, – a third party will determine how much money. I think I actually have a great um, breakdown of it, so I'll look at that. But it's it's not something that you want to necessarily get into um, and deal with, you know, just considering the fact that, you know, you want to keep these guys happy. I don't know. Obviously, there's a whole thing with it, but – uh, there's a hearing and the third party will determine how much money they get based off of market value and sort of things relating to that. Um, the arbitration case could decide the winner between the two amounts, whether it's the amount that the player wants and the amount that the ball club wants. Um, and it has to be decided within a week. So the hearings would start uh, this upcoming week. So that'll be uh, taking place. And it's kind of important in terms of how much these guys are paid and kind of happiness, you know, but yeah, just unfortunate. And they to have see to that. reach an agreement in that time span. A uh, third party will determine it, whether uh, mm -hmm. based on a bunch of things. So they'll it, we'll hear about it pretty soon, and we'll probably go over it next week. Uh, but again, I just would have liked to avoid that happening yeah. at all, right? So good to see it happen with a guy like Ty. You want to see a guy like Ty extended, uh, but like a guy with Ty Oscar, you don't. <laughs> you just acquired the guy, right? So right, not ideal. Um, and better news. On the 15th, the team signed seven international prospects, two of them who are highly, highly regarded. The first name was like the best international prospect on the market, uh, seen here pictured in a dugout. So the Mariners signed seven international prospects, shortstop Felnin Celestin out of the Dominican Republic, outfielder Kevin Alcantara out of the DR, infielder Delfry Carrasco out of the DR, uh, catcher Sebastian de Andrade out of Venezuela, right-handed pitcher Kendall Meza out of Nicaragua, right-handed pitcher Rudy Navarro out of the DR, and outfielder Kay Robles out of the DR. We'll go over um, some brief information about these guys. So Celestin is a 17-year-old and is widely considered to be one of the top prospects in the 2023 international class uh, and is rated as the number two overall international prospect by MLB Pipeline, number three by Baseball America, and fan graphs. He's six foot one. He's a switch hitter shortstop out of Boca Chica, Dominican Republic. Is regarded as a five tool player with a dynamic skill set and a high ceiling. Great athleticism, above average speed, and some great raw power. Who does that sound like? Uh, I, I hope you know who I'm talking about. I don't want to just say that. Yes, I'm going with Julio. Our guy. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this was a guy that a lot of – there's a great follow on Twitter if you love our Mariners. It's Mariners Miners. He's a great coverage of the Mariners Minor Leagues. Uh, it's been He's been counting – he or she or they, my apologies. I uh, don't know their identity. Um, has been, like, counting down the days until signing day, which is today. 
uh, with just photos of uh, Felin and then uh, oh, and just tweeting out the day. So the Mariners get it done. Awesome. He was highly regarded really well. Uh, we'll go. Oops. We'll go to some. <laughs> reports on some of these other guys alcantara is also 17 he's six foot left-handed outfielder out of the dr one of the best gap to gap hitters in the signing class with some solid defensive skills carrasco is a 5-9 infielder who has some solid versatility to play several positions along the infield at the plate he's a base kind of an on-base guy uh carrasco wait i just said carrasco de andrade is 16 he's 5-9 as a catcher from venezuela who is praised for being one of the more aggressive hitters in this class Got some good defensive tools behind the plate. Meza is a six-foot right-hander out of Nicaragua. Power pitcher already sitting in mid to low 90s at 17 years old um, at his fastball with a chance for high-end velocity in the future. Uh, pitches with up-tempo, aggressive delivery, and a solid breaking ball. So some some high heat and some solid breaking. That's scary. I don't, I'm kind of <laughs> glad I don't play baseball anymore. I couldn't hit any of that. Uh, Navarro is 16, six-foot-one. I wish I had that height. Uh, right-handed mm-hmm. pitcher out of the DR is a good athlete who relies a lot on that fastball and a changeup while he's working on the development of a slider to finish it off with Robles. Robles, the a- oldest of the group at 18. He's six foot two as an outfielder out of the DR. One of the bigger athletes in the class. He's a unique athlete with above average speed and surprising raw strength who is projecting as a center fielder with tools for that specific position. So uh, just a little bit of a, uh, minor league uh they're technically not in any minor leagues yet but a minor league uh right. sort of uh preview here uh before we reveal something later in the month i don't want to say anything yet but just keep an eye on that i know that we do our pro teams but we're working on stuff so uh that's exciting celestin is is a guy that again i talked about it with mariner miners that really really excited about and this is the thing too um i know he signed like a four million dollar signing bonus so they were really making sure that 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 young man's life has changed his family's life has changed already right um but you think about it right i know that people have been upset with the way that this team didn't there's a guy that i'm looking about uh in league notes right here that people are like oh why don't you throw him some money you look at these 10-year deals even the six-year deal Think about Celestin, right? Bell, who knows how old we're going to be when he hits the league, right? And he wears Mariner uniform. I mean, Julio was only, that was only a few years ago that this happened yeah. for him. So who knows? Maybe it is in two or three years, right? Um, it's depending. You don't want to compare, right? But it's like you think about the way that this team is built. How was Julio acquired, right? He was through the, excuse me, international signing class, developed, 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 got through the minor league system, Um I'm actually looking at his Everett Aguasox card right now. Went through the the system, and you know now he's he's this big guy and he's the future of this franchise. So you know it's I I have confidence in the organization the way that they develop develop players to that extent, um, just because of you know it, it it seems like there's already a great Cal Raleigh was a guy who was kind of sitting in the uh, the the low A to mid A kind of ball and he even in Everett, um, what was it? What did our friend Kate call him? Oh shoot, corn fed cow. You know, easy these guys are all, you know, it's develop drafts develop, you know, develop them. So I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it because that's what you want to do, right? Would you rather be a team that sells out and you know sacrifices all of this like short-term stuff and win in a short period of time or sustained winning? Like like a team like the Packers or franchise sustained. like the Packers or franchise like the Spurs, how they've done it. Right. Right now the Warriors. You look at the Warriors. I I had some gripes when KD went there. 
But look at Steph, Clay, Draymond, even I think Jordan Poole, right? Yep. How are those guys acquired? They were drafted, they were developed. So, you know, it's I'm not worried about it. I'm really not worried about it. And I'm happy that Phil Neen is in the franchise now. So happy with that. Guy that I'm also happy uh, that he didn't join the team, the Carlos Correa saga ends, I hope. On uh, January 10th, Correa signed a six-year, $270 million deal with the Minnesota Twins, the team that he opted out of a deal with in the first place at the mm-hmm. beginning of free agency. Uh, so here's a timeline for you, because I know you've been seeing this in the notes as well. On the 7th of November, he opted out of his deal with the Twins. On the 13th of December, he agreed to a 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants, which is just the beginning of that. It's ridiculous. 13 years. Come on. December 13th, he agreed to a 12-year, $350 million deal with the Mets. Uh, Reportedly, both the Giants and the Mets used the same doctor uh, to get the physical for Correa. The Twins said, I don't care. Come back. Uh, on January 10th, he agreed to that deal with the Twins. So just kind of kind of wild. And I'm hoping that I don't have to see more of those headlines again. He can go and sit in Minnesota and in purgatory with that team. So <laughs> uh, just your your uh, weekly reminder that pitchers and catchers report on February 16th for our Mariners. So, hey, man, we're getting pretty close. You remember here mm-hmm. in uh, center field by John Fogarty every day and the press box ice cream and sounds of woods hitting bats. We're getting close, Bell. We're getting close. We're, we're almost there. So uh, another off season that's really important for uh, for our Seattle teams, the storm and some stuff that's directly related and some stuff that uh, affects us, not necessarily directly, but kind of. So we'll get into that um, with our storm. So unfortunately, we still don't have storm overseas information. So none of that this week. But the team did extend qualifying offers to Ezzy McBegore and Gabby Williams on the 12th. So that's great news. Of course, we know that um, there are some things that hold up Gabby Williams with her contract um, playing overseas. And I can't remember what that rule is that they're implementing. Um, it's it's prioritization. It's like a prioritization right. clause. Uh, I think if you miss any uh parts of spring at least this is how it was last year i think if you miss any part of training camp then you like can't play for the half the season or whole season (laughs) it's it's a substantial amount of time which is why a lot of people took issue with it um because i mean obviously this is an issue that you know kind of spent it it goes to Brittany griner as well right because of the fact that she was going to play overseas when everything took place is that these players earn money in the offseason sometimes more money um than in the WNBA by playing overseas so it's like this is part of the way they live their lives um even for some of them I know they don't necessarily do it for the whole offseason some do it just to stay in game shape and improve their game right so Mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of you don't like seeing that for the WNBA you know it's kind of something I wish they would just get rid of as a whole but yeah you're right it affects uh the way that Gabby looks at her contract Right, because it might she might not have anything against the storm organization. It might just be with right. that prioritization clause. So, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's certainly tough. We'll keep posted, but I'm very excited at the possibility of having both of them back. Um, also announced on the 12th, the reigning champs Las Vegas Aces will be hosting the 2023 WNBA All Star Game. So we move on to some news here that we just found out today, actually. 
um, John Jones requested a trade from the Connecticut Sun and her only team of interest, the New York Liberty. So John Quill is being traded to the New York Liberty, Liberty sources confirmed to ESPN. The 2021 WNBA MVP with the Connecticut Sun requested the trade specifically to New York. The details have not been finalized, but New York would receive is this receiver trade. Uh, that is receive. Okay. New York would receive JJ and Kay Thornton. Dallas would receive Natasha Howard and Dangerfield. And then Connecticut would receive the number six pick, Beck Allen and Ty Harris. So, of course, this is still developing. That hasn't been finalized. But this, how does this directly affect us? So, I mean, you look at it, you look at the optics for this, right? I mean, a player like John Quill Jones, I just, uh, I think you mentioned it with what the MVP award just two years ago. Um, they have to pay Sabrina Ionescu. They take the, the Howard contract off there, but they have to pay uh, John Quill Jones, right? Mm-hmm. And with the sort of money that Brianna Stewart commands, <laughs> I mean, uh, Ionescu Stewart Jones doesn't make sense. I don't think it could happen. Uh, cap wise, I could be wrong. I would certainly not like to see that headline happen. But it just kind of seems I was talking to Bell about it before we began here. It just seems like a move that would be made if Liberty kind of felt like they weren't going to get Rihanna Stewart. So I'm crossing my fingers still and knocking on the wood that this is a move that basically means uh, is, is signaling that Brianna Stewart is going to return. Um, it just doesn't, it, it seems unlikely considering the fact that um, the Liberty now have Jones and they made this move um, to acquire her. So that's, that's my look on it. Yeah. I think they would have to uh, release a high amount of cal- salary cap space in order to make it happen. So as of now, I think that we can be a little bit cheerful um, for negotiations to begin. So in six days on the 21st, 21st free agent negotiations do begin. And then on February 1st, free agent signings can begin. And that about wraps us up for the storm for now. Yes, for now is a great point. Uh, we'll look over here for our sounders here. Uh, I, I used here twice. Uh who, uh, who found out some news about the Club World Cup, which is technically next up on the docket for them. Their preseason's kind of taking place right now. They're already undergoing training currently, uh, but we have an idea of potential opponent for the first match of the Club World Cup. So the first match of the Club World Cup is on February 1st between Al-Ahli, uh, which is Egypt, they're a club from Egypt, or and Auckland City, which is from New Zealand. Uh, so whoever wins that match will move on to play the Sounders on February 4th. Uh, and the kickoff time here is 9.30 a.m. Pacific time on February 4th. So we have an idea of when that will take place. Um, both of these are pretty historic clubs in terms of trophies and all that. Uh, but pretty interesting to see that draw there. So an Egypt club or New Zealand club, Auckland City, or Al-Akhli, Um and if the Sounders were to win, if uh, that match, they would go on to play Real Madrid, which <laughs> is kind of funny to think about just the, the Sounders playing a club like that at all. Um, so that's that's that news. But that doesn't take place technically for another few weeks uh, on February 1st is when we find out the winner of that match. And then we find out who Seattle will play um, as a result. 
the club made a trade the same day, actually, uh, with Charlotte FC. It's really interesting to see the amount of trades that Seattle's made with Charlotte and uh, St. Louis as those two have come into the league. Um, the club acquired $170,000 in 2023 general allocation money and $175,000 in 2024 general allocation money uh, from Charlotte FC in exchange for a uh, for two 2023 international roster slots. This move brings Seattle's number of 2023 international roster slots down to five. Uh, wait, yes, as the team continues its 2023 preseason preparations. Uh, this all took place as Seattle defender... A.B. Sissoko has received his U.S. green card, granting him permanent resident status in the United States, effective immediately. With that status, Sissoko no longer occupies an international roster slot on the club's roster. Uh, the Sounders now have three open international roster slots heading into the 2023 season with two current international players on the roster in Leo Chu and Yamar Gomez Andrade. So uh, first of all, congratulations to A.B. on that. That's got to be pretty cool. Um Normally, I would say this is more is is uh, like kind of setting something up in terms of acquiring allocation money, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before, where whether it's the rain or the Sounders, they acquire they 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 gum up all this allocation money, and all of a sudden, boom, they've got the funds to acquire a new player. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true here, but two two kind of instances make me think so. Uh, the, the, there's like, it's, it's one says no two says yes. In my, in my mind, one is the fact that this took place because Sissoko acquired the green card and therefore didn't take up that roster spot. And so, uh, it was just like, okay, we have one that we don't know we need anymore. Um, that's the one that says no. The two are the fact that, you know, Seattle is obviously, we, we talked about this in the last few weeks, not just last week, right. Is that they've been, lo- they looked at Aaron Long, they acquired Hebert, um, you know, there's the talk of, uh, I don't know if the general allocation money necessarily applies to that, but they're talking about extending Jordan Morris and Christian Roldan. There are reports that mm-hmm. Roldan that's already set, uh, same with Morris, but that hasn't been finalized. So I don't want to put that out there yet. Some outlets are like, oh yeah, it's deal, it's done. I'm like, we'll wait for that. <laughs> um, but uh, that and the fact that, you know, it, 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 you're a team that's, we look at all of our Seattle teams, right? The Seahawks, the Mariners, the Storm, to an extent. They have to uh, bring Stewie back, and then I'll put them in there. Uh, the Kraken, the Rain, the Sea Wolves. Sea Dragons are t- kind of tough because they're starting a league on the, again. Uh, but all those teams have a lot of youth on them. They have a lot of young youth. Young youth? Have a lot of youth that's going to help them be successful going forward. The Sounders are a team that they, they have youth. But they're kind of getting older. You look at Raul Ruiz. I don't want to uh, – Raul, I'm sorry. I don't mean to offend. <laughs> Raul's getting older. You know, Stephen Fry's getting older in goal. Nico Ladero yeah. is near the end of his career. Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like a, there's a lot of players that are it, – it's their, their championship window, I'm, I'm pulling down on the window effectively, right? So I, it, it, it makes sense for them to be aggressive, to take advantage of that, right? So that's that's where I see with that. So – I would say it's possible that the move's coming. I just don't know uh, how how uh, instant that may be. Because, again, it seems like Sosoko receiving his green card status could have just opened that up, right? And so now right. they've got extra allocation money to use. We'll see if that uh, actually plays into anything uh, going forward. So uh, looking ahead, I mean, it's a few weeks out, but February 4th versus either al Hali or Auckland City at 9.30 a.m. Pacific time is Seattle's first match. Uh, in the Club World Cup, and I believe it's the first U.S. team 
to play in the Club World Cup ever. So <laughs> it's still pretty cool. Uh, Brian Schmetzer did have a quote. He said, we're not going there for vacation. So it's there's obviously mm-hmm. a um, goal in mind, a goal in mind and a mindset. We're not going there just to be happy about it. So uh, speaking of being happy, why don't we switch over to our hockey team here who continues to make history and, you know, after a rough, a rough 2020 to 2022, Bell, it was it's it's really great to see all this taking place. And again, I talked about teams built to win. Seattle is young, and they've got successful veterans, and, and, and the winning's happening right now. So why don't we get to our past slate of games here that ends a seven-game road trip? Yes, on January 9th, the Seattle Kraken played the Montreal Canadiens and shut them out. It was a four to zero win. Our player of the game one is forward Eli Talvinen with one goal, one assist, two points, a two plus minus, three shots, and one hit. Our second player of the game is Vince Dunn with one goal, one assist, two points, a two plus minus, and six shots. On the 10th, they traveled to the Buffalo Sabres, and that was also a win, a four to three win. Our player of the game there is. Maddie Veneers with one goal, one assist, two points, a two plus minus, one hit, one block, and a five game goal streak. On the 12th, they played the Boston Bruins and it was another shutout win, three to zero. Our player of the game there was guard Martin Jones with 27 total saves, a 3.07 goal save above expected, and as I mentioned, a shutout game. Just a couple notes on the game here. The seventh team in the past decade to begin a calendar year with seven or more consecutive wins and first since the Sharks, seven GP in 2019. And they improved to 6-0-0 on their road trip and became the first team to defeat Boston in regulation at TD Garden since Ottawa on April 14th, 2022. Then we move on to January 14th. Against the Chicago Blackhawks, they won 8-5, Our player of the game there was Jared McCann, who had three goals, three points, four shots, and his first career hat trick. The Kraken became the first team in NHL history to sweep a seven-game road trip. And boy, did we need that after that Seahawks game. (laughs) I'll move on to our... Go ahead. Oh, no. Yeah, you're you're right. That was was much needed. (laughs) We'll move on to our players of the week here. I went with Jared McCann. I'm giving him his flowers for that hat trick and just his it's his first career hat trick in a history making game for the Kraken. So that was amazing. And like I said, giving him his flowers. You, however, went with someone who I feel like you've been going with for a few weeks. Hey, man, (laughs) you know, if the rookie plays well, the rookie plays well. Three goals, three assists, six points. For Maddie Beniers, you know, the all-star, five plus minus, 14 shots, three hits, two blocks. I like to see he's a rookie, too. He gets kind of thrown around because he's a he's not the smallest guy. So he gets thrown out around sometimes, you know, but some of the veterans are like, let's give the rookie his chops. But it's nice to see him throw the hits and the blocks in there, a 53% uh, face-off win percentage. Uh, I lo- I, I'm a very happy with Jared McCann. Don't get me wrong. Um, but, hey, man, Manny continues to produce. Uh Outside of the Boston game, I think he scored a goal in six out of the last seven games uh, coming into that Chicago game. So he continued to produce. Again, this is a rookie. He's a, the rookie points leader. He's the Calder Cup favorite. Uh, that's what I'll say about that. But, hey, man, I mean, look at the banner. Uh, they're the, the, the I, I tweeted about it on, on Twitter. 
obviously. And I tagged Aaron Goldsmith in it, and he liked the tweet, so that's cool. Hi, Aaron. Um, but the Aaron Goldsmith during after the Mariners win to put them at fourteen, the fourteen game win streak, he said they're hotter than the sun. And I said that after the Boston game, and they 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 took it up a step against Chicago. Um, uh, you know, I don't know if you went over it with the Chicago game, um, but just with a part of me with the Boston game, but Boston had not lost a game in regulation mm-hmm. at home uh, that this season. I don't think they've been shut out this season, uh, let alone at home. Boston Boston's like the, the big bad right now in the NHL oh, wow. and Seattle went in and shut them out and they looked good basically the whole game, you know, with Boston, I had expected them at least to get on the board. I did. I was, you felt good about it coming into the game, but you know, it was, it was a signature win. You'd argue that considering the magnitude of it, it was the biggest win in Kraken history. Obviously, there's two game, two seasons, but just considering the magnitude of who you beat and how impressive you look right now, I would put it up there. Um, uh, just with all all of this, the the notes here, they they, they look good, and there's still things that they can prove, uh, improve. I mean, you look at oh the Chicago game. Five goals. They probably shouldn't have allowed five goals in that one. Uh, Boston is shut out. Hard to complain about that. That Buffalo game got a little close at the end there. Uh, Buffalo got an empty netter. Uh, uh, well, Buffalo's net was empty, but they, they got one with six men on the ice there. The Montreal game was a 4 nothing game as well, so it's hard to disagree with that. Um, this, is, this is a team that, I mean, we've talked about. I think we talked about it earlier. Uh, well, at this point, right now, we're not talking about them making the playoffs, potentially. This is they're going to make the playoffs. Excuse me. They're only two points out of first place, too, and they have uh, games in hand um, against Vegas. And yeah, they're two points behind Vegas right now, and they've got games that they can play uh, to to come up and sneak up on them. Uh, that's the thing, though, with this team. Everybody, you know, as someone who was heavily involved with the team last year for a multitude of reasons, it's like, oh, why aren't they like Vegas? Vegas was very built to win now, and they're still built to win now. But if you look at this Kraken team and the youth that they have um, all across the board, and not necessarily just like young youth like Maddie Beneers, but guys like Jared McCann, who was the first player to sign an extension this past season, um, Andre Burakovsky bringing a veteran who never necessarily had taken a top dog role in his team with with Washington and with Colorado. I almost said Carolina with Colorado. The way he's contributing and should be an all star. Vince Dunn is in a contract year as a. I mean, he's still relatively young, young and he won a Stanley Cup. Uh, one of the top deep pairing guys, Adam Larson's played really well. Both of those guys had, I believe, a plus seven in the game against Chicago, which had only been done, I think, a few times uh, in NHL history. Uh, nobody had swept a seven-game streak ever in NHL, uh, a seven-game road trip in NHL history ever in the history of the entirety of the league. Um, they, they've shown that they can be offensively with anybody in this league. They can be with anybody. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if we want to talk reality, right, and again, it's it's really happy in Krakenland right now. Bowie's off, you know, I'm sure <laughs> shooting strip cannons at someone on a hoverboard, um, you know, the, the tentacle that they show in the pregame videos, maybe slapping somebody. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Davy Jones, the dog's probably some, I haven't seen that dog in months. Um, point being, there's still things that they can be better at, you know, yeah. uh, defensive consistency. I'd like to see more of that again, the Chicago game, he probably shouldn't have allowed, 
uh, five goals in that one to the Blackhawks. Chicago's a bad team. They're a bad team. Do you think they just let up because of the large lead that they took pretty early? Or what I do mean, you think contributed I wouldn't there? doubt that necessarily, but even still, you don't want to do that. You know, and yeah. I mean, we've seen it in all sports. I mean, you look at last night with the the Chargers and the the Jaguars. It's it's anything's possible, man. That's why yeah. I always say you want to keep the foot on the gas. But I mean, even even in games earlier in this road trip, if you look at uh at the the Ottawa Senators game, I think the first goal that they scored, I think it was Brady Kachuk. Uh, both D men were like right next to Kachuk, and they kind of just kind of watched him shoot the puck. It was like, hey man, move the stick around, just get in his way. There's things that they can be better about defensively. What's what'll interest me really is what this team does um at the deadline. Because obviously they're not going to be selling like they did last year. Uh, but it's like with the way that this team has been playing, do you want to shake up any of uh any of the lineup and what's been happening? I mean, there's obviously areas you can improve, you know. Um but just with the way that things are going right now and the chemistry that's being built, it's like, do you want to ruin any of that? That might be an offseason thing, right? Because, again, the there might be some people who are this happy about it and this this confident in. I'm not one of them. There's only like you're not making you're not winning the cup this year. I highly doubt that. Um, I mean, it would be nice with the way you're playing right now. You look like it. Right. But it's a long season. Uh, we just hit game 42. So, you know, there's still uh, 40 games to be played, right? Which is a good amount of time. Things happen. Yeah. Some some of them, unfortunate. Even the playoffs. The playoffs are a different monster. I don't know if you've heard about it. I heard about it first by Charles Barkley. He goes, hockey playoffs are – he said something along the lines of he really enjoys the NHL playoffs. So, you know, um, if a guy that was a former NBA veteran is saying that over the NBA playoffs, you know, it's a different beast. Um, yeah. But defensive consistency is one thing. Uh, just there are some games where they look so locked in, like that Boston game was probably, again, probably one of the best games that this team's ever played. Um, and then you see some of the times where there's there was a game earlier in the season when Carson Seuss just punched a guy in the back of the head with three seconds left, puts Winnipeg on the power play, and they score like that. And then all of a sudden we're going to overtime. It's like if you can find that at a consistent pace, this this is a contending team um but and again i don't want to get too ahead of myself but it's 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 really exciting to, to see all this because again they're built to win they're built to be successful um and it's really interesting because you well jane schwartz didn't play in that last game so you, you scored eight goals without him um but Chris Drieger still has to come back as a goaltender who tore his yeah. ACL in the World Juniors um, over the summer. People, this should be a separate video, and maybe we do that. But people have been, Martin Jones has been really solid. But the thing is, he's he's signed to a one-year deal, and he's an aging guy. And I just don't think it makes sense to keep three goalies. I know that technically I believe there's a roster spot open right now, a 22 out of 23. It just doesn't make sense um, to keep all three. And I don't think he was ever going to be more than a rental in the first place. I think he was just signed here to be a substitute for Chris Drieger until he got back. Um, he's played pretty solidly. And people are like, oh, he's playing better than Grubauer. He's getting more opportunities than Grubauer, first of all. Um, mm-hmm. but again, the, off- the defensive consistency plays into that. And that's been a thing with this team, even before this win streak, right? So 
I get it. The calls for goaltending, sure. Like there are saves here and there from both both goaltenders and both Jones and Grubauer. It's like yeah, you could pick here and there, but I think the consistency plays a lot into that. Um, but to an extent, too, a lot of the people that are like anti Grubauer, there's there's worse about it. There's worse people for it, and there are people who are a little bit better about it. There's some people like, oh, trade the guy; he's a bum. Blah 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 blah, which is all wrong and stupid. Jeez. And there's some that are like, I don't know, this Jones guy is playing a little bit better. Maybe, you know, so I don't know. I I consider these okay problems to have uh, considering you do have Drieger, but it's just crazy to see the depth that this team has uh, in the forward lines, uh, the, the, the defensive contributions, I believe Seattle's top near top in the league in points from their defensemen. Uh, so it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch these. And I don't know if you if you can't get into hockey, I feel bad for you because it's a fast sport. There's fighting. There's legal fighting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. So I, I have fun with it. Um, and it, it'll be really interesting to see how long they're able to carry this. Because even the game that they're playing um, before this episode drops, Tampa Bay is a damn good team. We we saw that earlier in the year where Seattle played. Seattle did have two defensemen out. Uh, for that game, Jamie Alexiak was out with a suspension and Justin Schultz was out with injury. So I, I would imagine things are different this time, but Tampa Bay is still a good team. Granted, you beat the best team in the league in Boston in right. their home, but it's, you know, it'll be really interesting to see how long they're able to carry this um, with, with some important uh, opponents coming up. I'm looking at the upcoming games thing here. Um, I don't know if we we don't have any notes necessarily in it, but I want to get your thoughts on it before we continue it. But there are some good teams coming up and um, you'd like to see them continue it just because, again, uh, with with your only you have the tiebreaker against the Kings. You have the same amount of points, but you have a tiebreaker. So you're number two. You've got it's, it's not necessarily super tight right now because there's so much time to go, but it could get tight. So I'd rather stack points now than worry about having to collect them at the end of the year. So I'll, I'll, I want to get your point on it as well uh, about how, I, I don't know yeah, whether it's opinions on just seeing how people have reacted to it. The, the crazy amount of points. I mean, you're seeing this belly, seeing eight game, eight goals here, uh, shutouts and all that. I just want to, your opinion on it as well. I'll ask a question first. Both of those shutouts, Martin Jones was playing, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just he was, and that's the thing too. Is I still, I still think that it, defensively, the consistency plays a part there. You know, the Boston game, he did have some solid saves. Uh, same with Montreal, but a lot of it, you know, at least watching that game, he didn't have to make crazy saves. He had to make saves sure. you expect him to make as a goaltender. Um, but outside of that, I mean, it wasn't like he went out there, stood on his head, and was blocking everything as if you put a brick wall in the net. He played well defense. He played well as he should have, you know, but I don't think that's anything to say. Yes. This is why we need to keep this guy. It just, it, uh, I don't know. It, it, it would be really interesting to say that. So that's just to answer your question. Yeah, he was in there. Okay. <laughs> no, I think it's important. Just like you said, um, obviously there's a high that we're riding right now and it's easy to have your head in the clouds and be, everything is fine, but do you should still address those points of weakness. So if you can do that when you're winning, that's only going to make you better. Um, but yes, as you said, there are like the Tampa Bay lightning game. Um, we'll see how they do then. Hopefully they could continue to ride this high. They're coming back home. 
nothing would be greater than a win at home. Um, so currently they stand at 26, 12 and four second in the Pacific with 56 points. And as we've mentioned here, looking ahead on the 16th, which is tomorrow at 1 PM <laughs> randomly, um, in climate pledge arena, then on the 17th, they're on the road again at the Edmonton Oilers, a 6 PM puck drop on the 19th versus the New Jersey devils. 7 p.m. puck drop and then on the 21st again back home versus the Colorado Avalanche 7 p.m. puck drop so just kind of want to get your thoughts on how you think that uh, matchup is going to go tomorrow it won't be a blowout as it was last game where Seattle scored like at the end very end to help make it not as bad I think that game was six to two um Honestly, I could see, <laughs> I could very well see it being either way, either a low-scoring game or a high-scoring game, just considering the offense. Because, again, you got to th- think about with Tampa Bay. They won two of the last three Stanley Cups, and they still got a lot of their veterans that are continuing to contribute. But they, they're a little bit more beatable this year. I mean, if I look at the standings here, it's not like they're like Boston who have lost like under 10 games. Uh, let me find them. I think they're still oh no they're third in their division yeah they're third in, well i mean they're in a division with boston toronto who are also two of the best teams in the league um i think they can do it i think they can extend it to nine but it, it i i don't know just considering the way that this team they they beat the kings earlier in the year nine to eight and then now we we the, later in the in the month that same month i or actually i think it was in december they they lost the game in minnesota here one to nothing you know so it's like this team could be a little bit Jekyll and Hyde, but with the way that things are going, I think that they could win this one and have a decent offensive output. It's the game after that uh, against Edmonton. Cause you think about that. They just run a seven game road trip. They get today off and then they go play tomorrow at one o'clock and then they have to get on a plane and go to Edmonton. Um, and Edmonton's a good, just a good divisional team anyway. So it, that game could be a little bit tougher and that's maybe where that ends. Um, but I think they can win tomorrow. I do, I do think that they can win tomorrow. Now, if you don't have the luxury, like some of us do, of having MLK Day off, um, Charles will be there tomorrow. So you can follow his live tweets to catch up on the game. Um, we'll move on to our OL rain now. Yeah, and, you know, I, I know we're a little bit, we're long into this episode, but there's a lot going on. And there was a lot going on for the rain as well. Um, the draft happened. We got some um, player re-signings. We have a assistant coach signing that we'll begin with. So there's a lot taking place here, and I'll get rid of the social media graphic on the bottom. Um, on the 10th, the club announced the hiring of Scott Parkinson as their head assistant coach. Most recently, Parkinson served as the head coach of the New Jersey slash New York Gotham FC, leading the theme to the 2021 playoffs for the first time uh, since back in 2013. Parkinson is set to join the reign immediately and was present at the 2023 draft in Philadelphia on the 12th. Uh, the hiring is the uh, second stint together for Parkinson and Laura Harvey uh, after spending two seasons with the Utah Royals back in 2017 and 18, where he initially made his NWSL start as an assistant coach under Harvey. Together, those two helped guide the uh, Utah Royals to 19 wins in two seasons. Um, Parkinson later would serve as the club's head coach through the 2020 NWSL draft. Um 
He is a Liverpool, England native, recently earning his USSF Pro coaching license in addition to holding USSFA and B license, U, uh, USSFA and UEFA B licenses. Uh, he's been coaching in the United States for 13 years, including his head coaching position with Gotham, as we mentioned, uh, and assistant coaching positions with Utah and the Chicago Red Stars. Prior to him joining the NWSL, Parkinson served two years as the head women's soccer coach for Rogers State University. Um, so this is a very interesting move um, for the rain, but with the loss of Sam Lady to Houston, I think it's it's a pretty solid one uh, for a guy that you know had some success as a head coach with Gotham. Has spent some time with Laura Harvey. I think it makes a lot of sense. And uh, we've talked about that. We talked about this when Lady left. Um, you know, it's important to have not only the head coach of a team can be great, but you have different parts of the coaching staff in the front office that are great as well, and they will add as equal amount of a contribution to the club or the team, whenever it's sport, it may be as a whole, right? I mean, the Seahawks uh, in those quote unquote glory years, they had great defensive coordinators, you know, uh, look, a lot of these teams, the front office plays a great impact as well as the head coach, the head coach. That's great. But if you don't have the other coaches that help impact that as well, that's why we get coaching trees, right? You talk about so mm-hmm. many of these coaching trees is because they came from that staff and they were able to help and go have an impact at other teams and other levels. So uh, I think it's a good move personally. Um, but it's, it's just incredible to see how much news there was. Uh, the same day, the club re-signed Captain uh, Lou Barnes for two years. So her contract is through the 2024 season. Uh, Barnes with a quote, I care so deeply for this club, my coaches and teammates, the city and our fans, which is why there is no place I would rather play. Uh, for over a decade, we've built a special culture here that is hard to replicate elsewhere. And I'm committed to using my experience to help lead us towards our goals on the field and in the community that we proudly represent. Uh, known as one of the most decorated players in the NWSL, the two-time best 11 first team in 15 and 16, and two-time best 11 second team in 2014 and 19. Selection leads the league in appearances in 189, starts at 185, and minutes played at 16,369. Nearly 1,000 more minutes than the second most player, becoming the first player in history to reach that milestone of 15,000 minutes played. Equally as impressive, the veteran is just one of 10 players to make at least one appearance in every NWSL season ever and is one of just five players to have been with the same club every year since 2013. Entering her 11th season uh, with the NWSL, Barnes is coming off of another successful performance in 2022, starting in all 19 of her games played. The Upland, California native recorded 37 appearances, 33 interceptions, 21, I almost said picks for interceptions, wrong sport, 21 <laughs> corners and five blocks. Additionally, the defender ranks second on the team and starts corners and interceptions. The rain ended the season with the fewest goals allowed and tied for the most clean sheets uh, as Barnes helped that there. Lou Barnes is an amazing human. I mean, I taught that with the quote talking about uh, the culture and the fans in the city. If Give the Instagram a peek. You just see some of the stuff she does. She was actually, I think, in a, a Players for the Planet retreat a few weeks ago. Uh, very big on, on helping the planet. Uh, very sustainable. Uh, there, uh, last year, I think she had uh, with a spawn with a uh, partnership she did with a company. They had uh, travel kits for the team that were all sustainable. Uh, just an overall like, awesome human being. Like I can say that from personal experience. And so I, I, I the the banner kind of reveals 
that there's another resigning here. But this was this it, 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 Barnes was some I could understand if if the possibility of uh, going somewhere like California, only California would have made sense. I can understand how that would have made sense for her, um, all things considered. But just considering that where she's at in her career, uh, the the way that she's been with this franchise, the other OGs that are still with the team, it just uh, and the fact that this is still a competing team, it's not like this team's in the rut or in purgatory, as I've we you and I talked about uh, with certain teams. It, it made a lot of sense for her to come back, and that's why I wasn't really worried. Um, about the potential of her not coming back. So Lou, it's not like I have to thank you, but it, it it's awesome to have Lou Barnes back uh, for two more years. Again, it's not just the one year. She signed through 2024. So very, very cool. Um, but again, as I talked about with the banner here, uh, on the next day, uh, it would be announced officially that the club re-signed Megan Rapinoe through the 2023 season. Uh, Pino starts with a quote, I'm back, Seattle. This club means the world to me, and I'm fully committed to helping this team to the best of my ability. Under Laura's leadership and surrounded by this level uh, of talent and quality, I'm confident we will continue to raise the bar and set the standard for success beyond this sport. Um, Rapino was re-signed 10 years to the day that she was uh, actually assigned to the mm-hmm. reign, which is pretty incredible. The global icon and combined six-time NWSL best 11 first-team and second-team selection is returning to the reign for an 11th consecutive season. She joins Lou Barnes and Jess Fishlock. Uh, the 37-year-old tr- is just one of 10 players to make at least one appearance in every season in the NWSL. And is just like Barnes, one of just five players to have been with the same club every year since 2013. It's incredible that three of those five are Rain players. Uh, the Rain original was named to the 2022 Best 11 Second Team at the end of the season, after she had earned uh, NWSL Player of the Month in August and selections for NWSL Best 11 in August and September slash October. Rapino was named to either the Best 11 First Team in 18 or Second Team 13, 15, 17, 19, and 22. Uh, in six seasons since the league's inaugural year in 2013, tied for the third most combined selections in league history. So it's like, what more do you need to say about Megan Rapino? I mean, really, uh, the 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 little wordage there about global icon is pretty true. I mean, if it, it's it's a name pretty synonymous. When I talk to people who don't know about the 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 club as a whole, they go oh, Megan Rapino, right? So it's like that's instant. You know, household household name is a great term yeah. for it, right? Because there are certain, excuse me, athletes that are household names. Megan Rapino really has elevated that. And you know, since watching her uh, at Memorial with the uh, with the the pure blonde hair, it's not blonde anymore. She changes it up. Um, I don't think in that photo it was right. No, it was. I lied. <laughs> um, her run of form at the end of the season was crazy because the first few games was kind of quiet early on, uh, had the international break, uh, us, the U S won the CONCACAF women's championship, um, or CONCACAF gold. Um, and then she went on this ridiculous run, uh, and really seemed determined about it. But, uh, in a similar light to Barnes, uh, because of a press conference at the end of the year, after the rain loss in the semifinal, she basically said in, in, in her own candor, I'm not going anywhere. So I, I, I didn't have any doubt about it. You know, it, it, as this off season went on, I was like, Hey, Hey, <laughs> you announced it? um, but it, it, 
it you know i was it was more of an impatience thing and i you know with how fast we move with everything right i, I would like to get things going but that that took place so you know we could stop there with how busy that was right but the the rain were the rain continued things with laura harvey there's always something going on i have to feel like um the club made a trade with the kansas city current for elise bennett so the forward is 23 years old she was selected in last year's draft the 2022 draft by the current with the seventh overall pick during her rookie season with the current she appeared in 21 regular season games tied for the second most on the team and earning six starts in addition to that the forward appeared in all three of Kansas City's playoff games. A dynamic and tenacious rookie, uh, she scored three goals and notched two assists in the regular season with two additional assists in the 2022 Challenge Cup. Bennett recorded a goal and an assist in her second regular season appearance when she came on as a sub with 29 minutes to play, making her one of 27 players to record a goal and an assist in the same game in 2022 and one of only three from Kansas City to accomplish that feat. Prior to her NWSL career, as I mentioned at the height of the show, Bennett played at the uh, I almost said University of Washington. That's wrong. At Washington <laughs> State University. So this was a move that was really interesting to me, just because, I mean, you you heard it at the beginning there. Seventh round pick, seventh overall pick last year. Um, she's she was a rookie. Um, yeah. Kansas City had some injuries last year uh, at the forward spot and at the attacking spot. Uh, and they still made the NWSL title. Uh, and they added Dabinia, who is like the most coveted free agent. Uh, so I, I guess it made sense to make room. Um, but the so they acquired Bennett and they acquired the 23, 23rd overall pick in the draft. And the current received $150,000 in allocation money, which is, I don't know, to get a pick and Bennett. It's kind of interesting, uh, and I'm happy with it. Honestly, it's. I mean, the rain. It's. I, I talked to uh, about this with a friend. Um, the rain aren't. They don't have any holes to fill in any area, so it's like you add more depth here. And with the loss of Ali Watt uh, to trade, uh, it's. It's. It, I kind of get. It's, it's nice to add that. Uh, and you're going to need depth. I mean, we saw that with some injuries happen. Uh, the rain lost some depth defensively with some injuries at the end of last year, but I was. I was like, hey, you know, to add a young, talented forward, I'm not mad at that at all, you know, because uh, last year, throughout the year, depth was pretty important throughout the course of the season for the rain as a whole. So to add someone that can contribute that way, I'm more than happy for that. All of that news. And then the draft, right? So uh, with the first pick that the rain had in the draft at the ninth, well, there was a trade to get the Shea Holmes pick that you can see on your uh, screen. Uh, the rain acquired the number 19 overall pick in the draft for the 23rd overall pick in the draft, a 2023 international roster spot and its natural third round pick in next year's draft um, in a trade. So the rain got the 19 overall selection. They traded up to get Shea Holmes, a defender out of the university of Washington, uh, as a Husky, Holmes played 44 games at UW, starting in 32 of them. She was an integral part of the roster, adding two goals and seven assists. She was also recognized as an all-Pac-12 second-team player uh, this past year. It was really cool. As a quick note, um, a bunch of Huskies were at Rough and Tumble uh, mm-hmm. during the draft, and there's actually a draft uh, reaction video. Uh, she was – she. There was a reaction. All of her teammates, uh, when her name got called, she signed the rain flag at Rough and Tumble. So it was that was really cool um, to see that take place. And it's always cool to see Huskies stay home, in my opinion. 
no matter what sport it's across. So that happened. I talked about trades. There's another trade. Uh, the club acquired defender Emily Sonnet from the Washington Spirit in exchange. The Rain traded their 32nd overall pick in the draft and its natural first round pick next year. So the 29 year old defender made 10 appearances and nine starts for Washington last year, accumulating a total of 842 minutes. She made 19 interceptions and had a 52% success rate on aerial duels. Sonnet has amassed 69 appearances for the U.S. women's national team, adding one goal and five assists. This is an interesting move um, for Washington to, I, I guess Washington had been looking to to trade Sonnet earlier, uh, and they, they got to do so. I, I think she was injured last year for a good amount of the mm-hmm. season, but um, it's really interesting to see the way that Harvey has been talking about her because a question was asked after the trade, so where are you going to put her? Uh, because a lot of the reins back four is already solidified in Sophia Huerta, Lou Barnes, Alana Cook, Sam Hyatt. Um, it's like, okay, so your back line's mostly solidified? What are we doing? And it was really interesting to hear Harvey's like, we can kind of play her out of places. So it, there's obviously a plan there. Um, but to so with these two trades, right, you had a player that's going into her second year now and a veteran like Sonnet, you know, who helped Washington – uh, win a title just a few years ago. Uh, let me make sure that's right. I'm pretty sure she was on that roster. Um, that Washington team that actually would go on to beat uh, the Rain in the semifinal in 2021. Uh, yep, Washington Spirit, 2021. Uh, she was acquired in 2020, helped win the championship. Yep, so yeah. It's really interesting to see them add that veteran. But again, I think part of this, and it's I don't want to call her a depth player, but it helps you as a deep team, right? I mean, yeah. these all any of these seasons can, can be centered long, even the NFL with an 18-game season. It's a long season, and players get injured. So having someone else to step up is huge. So I, I'm really interested to see how that all, all plays out, but I know that some of the uh, OG, like Megan, was really happy to see that because they've spent time together on the national teams. So pretty interesting. I don't know, just uh, just to see the the range there. Lorraine would finish out the draft with their 46th overall selection. Uh, Natalie Vigiano out of the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She started in all 19 games this past season, providing her team uh, with six goals, including four game winners and two assists. In her college career, uh, Vigiano averaged a half shot on goal. uh, Wait, 0.504 shots on goal. Okay, that's what we got from PR. Um, which was interesting there to see the, the the forward pick, especially after the trade for Bennett. So it's, it's really interesting. Again, you, uh, Pete Carroll talks about competing, right? Uh, no matter what part of the uh, roster you're on, no matter if your position's considered locked in or not, who knows? Maybe one of these players that we just acquired ends up providing more minutes than, you know, we initially think right now, but yeah. I don't know. It's really busy. Uh, you 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 saw the success that the rain had last year, right? With winning the the uh, the NWSL Shield as the team with the most points at the end of the season, uh, and obviously losing, unfortunately, in this to the uh, current in the semifinal. I don't know. What do you what do you make about all this? You know, with bringing back your OGs, uh, adding some young talent in in the draft, not only in the draft but in the trade, and then adding a veteran. What do you what do you make of all that? I mean, you're certainly not freaking out about how the last season ended and you're not like technically rebuilding if it had 
stuff, don't fix it. So it sounds like they're just trying to add certain pieces that they think are going to develop the team. And like you said, it's a range um, from veterans to rookies. So I don't know. I'm excited. I think I'm always excited to see how the rain do. And most of the time, I feel like they've had success. The, yeah, it's <laughs> that they'll be successful. It, it's I think a lot of it is getting over that hump in the semifinal round. You know, even in the few times they made it to the title early on, they fell to yeah. Kansas City, a different uh, iteration of a Kansas City team. So that's why losing the current this past year was like another Kansas City game. But I think it, it, you're looking for what pushes you over the hump now, right? What gets you over that? Because the last two years you've lost in the semifinal and the year before the COVID year where there were no playoffs, uh, no COVID, no playoffs in the COVID year, you lost in the semifinal. So it's like you, you're, you're looking for what pushes you over the edge here. So I'm really interested to see that. And I'm sure Laura Harvey's not done. I'm just sure about it. Um but we move over to league news here on the 10th. Patrick Mahomes joins the KC current ownership group. He becomes, I believe, the second player, the second NFL player yeah. uh, to join that uh, an NWSL team's ownership group. It was reported that he is the first, but that's not true. No. The Chiefs QB <laughs> purchased a partial stake in the current where his wife, Brittany, is already a part owner. So that's cool to see. But overall, uh, happy for the past week with the rain. Happy to get that much news for him. So that... Uh, it's it's always interesting. The Seawolves continue to kind of stick around. And they're like it's now they're slowed down. Like earlier, it was like two a week. It's like we've got a, a signing a week now. Uh, as we move over to our Seawolves here. Yes, the team signed Flanker Charles Elton. He's 6'3", 20, 29 years old, highly skilled New Zealand defender. Most recently, he played in Sydney, Australia, where he was the Eastern Suburbs RFU. CS 2022 Defender of the Year. In high school, he played for the New Zealand Secondary Schools Rugby Sevens team. After graduation, he spent five years on the B squad for Otago Rugby in Dunedin, New Zealand. He decided to move to North Otago RFU to gain more more time and experience on the pitch. And in 2019, he earned Northern Otago's Player of the Year award after the New Zealand Heartland Championship. By 2020, his dedication to continuous improvement secured him a spot on the starting squad for the new professional union team for Otago Rugby, where he played in the New Zealand National Provincial Provincial Championship in 2021 and 2022. I'm just excited for the season to start, really. I mean, with with the returning group, I... I, I... I think we talked about it at the end of their season. I was just happy with what they built, and I thought that they were going to continue to get better um, coming off of a few years where they were unsuccessful after winning the MLR title for the first two years yeah. of the league's existence. <laughs> with the the talent that they've added um, as a whole, and they continue to add, I mean, really, I don't. it's hard to not consider them favorites for the title, in my opinion, especially considering that both teams – that were the one and two in the Western conference in Austin and LA won't be playing at all this year. It just seems like it's like a, again, nothing's guaranteed obviously, but I, I really excited for our Seawolf season. Again, I didn't, I want to put it out again. And again, I have ones for you uh, because our buddy, Rucky, the Seawolves, the mascot sent it to us, but we've got a Rucky. No, it's not in set. You know what I mean? There's Rucky. There it is. Uh, next to the actual logo himself. Um, it's exciting. It's really exciting. And I know that we've gotten, uh, well, we personally haven't, but like even 
parts of different teams twitters like kraken twitter wants to come out to seawolves games so uh like our buddy mike mike's excited to go out to that as well so it's uh I don't know. It, it's exciting. And I know I talk about pitchers and catchers reporting. Uh, MLR preseason starts on the 5th of February. So we're getting close. We're getting really close. Um, and even with Rickard Hatting being out the early part of the season, like, again, I, I feel like there's a lot of talent in this team. And I think that I, I could consider them for at, at least a deep playoff run, right? Obviously, that's even a lot to say itself. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think about it? I mean, if you want to get better than where you were last season, then that's winning the whole thing. So (laughs) I think that you're, yeah, I think you're giving them enough credit here for sure. Um, So just like you said, excited to see where they go after a season when they played a game that they really, some would say wouldn't have even been at. So (laughs) given the circumstances, yeah. So um, yeah, just excited to see where they take that momentum. So with that, we will wrap up the episode. And, you know, even though there were a lot of a lot of positives in this episode, I think the brightest star that's burning right now is our hockey team with the Kraken. Uh, it's, it's hard to pick anybody else for start. Well, not necessarily hard, but it's it, it makes a lot of sense uh, that there were a unanimous selection. We said a lot about them in the 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 team segment of this show, but it's just incredible again to see this to see the success that they're having, to see that the way that the city has uh, embraced this team and even uh, not just the city, but again, like interacting with people who are from different parts of the country, uh, fans of different teams who are like, Hey, you guys are like really picking it up or just even fans of the jerseys and all that. They've, it's been a lot of fun uh, to have this team here and just to see everything uh, envelop, um, unwrap, envelop words. Um, but it, I don't know, it's just <laughs> kind of crazy and we're halfway through the year and the rest of the year proves to be, I wouldn't say even more exciting. I don't want to put that bar up there, but Seattle has the 31st, uh, ranked, uh, strength of schedule the rest of the way. So I don't know. I remember I don't know. when the last season ended, you said they just had to be better than the first season and here they are making NHL history. So that's already better than next than the last it's season. Funny with them hitting like win marks that they hit last year. They're like, oh, we hit this win mark in December when last year we didn't hit it till like March. <laughs> it is yeah, pretty crazy to think about because uh, to an extent, a lot of those games uh, blew up in your face, and it was it was a lot of like the similar stuff. You know, you you talk about finding ways to win, right? You mm-hmm. hear that a lot, and Seattle found ways to lose many many different games. It was like okay. What is it this game? You know, you, your penalty kill was horrible or you just gave up five goals in the first period. You know, they just found different ways to be uh, bad um, and it's changing this year and they're they're finding ways to win, uh, whether it's, you know, a nine to eight win or they, they go out and they get two shutouts in three games. You know, it's really interesting to see that all take place. And again, considering that they're in the second year of their development, they still got a lot of talent. Obviously, we've talked about Shane Wright a, a lot this year, but there are a lot mm-hmm. of guys to be excited about in Coachella, guys like Riker Evans uh, in further different leagues in the OHL, like the Battalion with Ty Nelson, uh, top to bottom. I mean, it's really exciting to see 
I'll compare it to this, right? You look at when you, I always like to get seats at games a little bit further up so you can see a play develop. We can see this all developing with the franchise, right? You could look at, you know, you could look at from the glass and you could see the NHL team and only go off of their, their results. Um, but we can look at the whole sort of overlying plan of this. You know, that was a big thing last trade trade deadline. Seattle stacked a bunch of picks. They made a good amount of picks this past year, but they still got a ton of picks this year and year after that. So it's, it's, there are a lot of positives, uh, not only this year, but going forward for this team. So it's really exciting. So, uh, I think this is our longest episode to date. Uh, yes. <laughs> not necessarily for bad reason, but there was a lot going on. So we'll get out of here, uh, next week. Wow. We're approaching, uh, January, February pretty quick. Um, again, a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day to you. Uh, this 2023 Martin Luther King J, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Um, God, yeah, the Seahawks season ended, so we'll have our uh, season review next week on the show, and we'll also be doing a more in depth one uh, on the Circling Seattle Sports uh, YouTube account. Maybe we see more Mariners news uh, as the offseason continues. The storm, I'd really love, well, offseason negotiations begin on saturday so that that maybe we hear stuff who knows uh the sounders again maybe they acquire somebody in the the lead up uh before the club world cup the kraken who knows uh how long that win streak continues the rain uh, i've already made a bunch of noise in this past week so maybe they make more again i laura harvey can make a, a trade at the drop <laughs> of a hat um yeah so until we see well and then it wasn't directly news, but the Sea Dragons are in uh, their training camp, and they've got some nice picks. There's some cool yeah. ones of Josh Gordon. So, again, until we see you next week um, here on Circling Sales Sports on Converge Media, uh, of course, Charles Hammaker, the guy with the bald head. I hope I didn't blind anybody with the reflection of my head here. Uh, until we see you next week as we approach the end of Feb- uh, January. God, I'm all over the place. Uh, take care <laughs> of yourself and do whatever you can to make today a great day. Good job.